1: The Action Network Podcast.
0: I'm just about that action, boss.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Action Network Podcast presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. I'm your host, Anthony DeBundo. This is a special Australian Open Best Bets edition, and today I'm joined by my two close friends, Avery Zimmerman, head editor of tennis coverage at Action Network, and Gil Gross, host of Monday Match Analysis and a broadcaster for the Tennis Channel, excited for two weeks of Aussie Open Tennis. Gentlemen, let's do like a rapid fire. Favorite bets you've made? For me on the men's side, it's Berrettini, plus 550 to win his quarter. And then I did take Novak to win the whole tournament at minus 110. I just think his path is so friendly that he's really only going to have one or two landmines. Like the only truly match where i would not feel great is if Kyrgios finds form out of nowhere and, and just plays out of his mind in like a potential quarterfinal maybe other than that until the final like i just don't see anybody troubling novak and then Berrettini at plus 550 buying low on him i think he's a a good bounce back candidate has had success here has a relatively good draw coin flip matches with rude maybe a slight underdog to fritz uh, but I do think he rolls past murray in the first round too so those are my two favorite bets here you guys both like garcia avery what do you have so far
1: yeah, Nor, Nori, just about my favorite play to win that quarter. Fritz to win his quarter as well. Medvedev, I'm really liking as well at, at that price. I think he's going to be really dangerous. Uh, Garcia, like you noted, I think is a great price. I think Daniel Collins at 25 to 1 or, or even better is, is an awesome look as well. Novak, I tell myself every year that I can't do it at minus 110, minus 120. And every single year he drops one or two sets, maybe has a tough match. And I'll regret this, but I'm not going to do it. Avery and I did agree a lot. Um, I
3: love the Nori plus plus six hundred. I love the Fritz plus two seventy five. I would take Djokovic to to win it. I I just think there's enough things going for him, especially because I do think that quarter uh, has the potential to really blow up in his favor. Um, and I could see him, you know, playing Andre Rublev in the in the quarterfinals and Fritz in the semis. I mean, the path that I have drawn out for Novak is uh, is really really favorable. I mean, even up to the final, where you know, I think if Tsitsipas and Medvedev play, I actually like Steph, and that's a guy Novak has beaten nine times in a row. Like the the way I filled out my draw, it is a breeze uh, for Novak.
2: I know we're very excited to be nocturnal for the next two weeks as we alter our sleep schedules and get ready for tennis overnight into the wee hours. The biggest thing hanging over this tournament, I think, has to be the absence of Carlos Alcaraz. Won't be able to defend his title in New York. Uh, He will not be able to go for the back-to-back slams. He picked up a leg injury. That leaves Novak Djokovic as the clear favorite right now at FanDuel Sportsbook, minus 110 to win the Aussie Open. He was not able to play last year because of the whole vaccine saga that went down. He is playing this year. He is the fifth seed. He got a pretty favorable draw. We'll start with Gil. When you're looking at this draw, is it Novak, or does the field have any real chance of pulling it off in a best-of-five? It's pretty much
3: Novak, and and first of all, great to be on these Action Network airwaves where I interned in in 2018, and I've always just really wanted to be on a podcast with Tina. Tina? Woo, pig suey! Uh, Novak's won five out of his last six events. He's won the Australian Open nine times. He's fresh coming into this 2023 season. That's kind of the silver lining for how much time Djokovic missed last year, is he's kind of in that perfect happy medium of he played that indoor hard court season. He's gotten in plenty of matches. So he's matched tough, but also he is by no means or by any stretch worn down, which uh, I know is usually the case for the Australian open, but sometimes for these top players, it actually can be tough. The off season is like three weeks, uh, especially if you're playing Davis cup, then you look at the draw and it's another check in, in the box for Djokovic, at least how I have it playing out. So, Yeah, it's really hard to see
2: any room for Djokovic skepticism unless you're really worried about the hamstring. And that's the thing I want to pose to Avery, because we did see that he ended his practice session short uh, on Wednesday. Uh, Are you concerned at all about the leg injury? We've seen Novak feign some injuries, win this tournament despite battling injuries, Are you any concerned? Does that stop you from betting Novak? Are you going to wait and see how he looks the first couple rounds? How are you playing the outrights in this tournament knowing we have such a huge favor?
1: I think Gil kind of hit the nail on the head. It's it's hard to be too concerned about Djokovic, especially considering how strong he is at this event. I think I, I don't have much concern over that hamstring injury either. He took the MTO against Medvedev in the semifinals last week, came back, had no issue, won that match in straight sets, went on to beat Korda in a super physical battle. So my concern level is very low for that. And you consider how, just how dominant Djokovic is at this tournament and against a field that, frankly, I don't think he'd be much shorter or much longer, honestly. Um, even if Alcaraz was in the field, I think you'd probably see him maybe plus 110, plus 120, but much not much more beyond that. So considering all of that, I don't think you know, maybe as a tough match round four against Karina Busta, who's not in the best of form either. Against then, until then, you know, these aren't players that are going to give him much of an issue. So unless the hamstring really is a big problem, which I don't really think it is based on everything that he's
2: said, you really don't need to be too concerned about Djokovic, at least until the quarterfinals. I did bet Novak minus 110 as soon as the draw came out. I looked at it and I'm like, okay, Nadal, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, all on the opposite side of the draw. Some other landmines, you know, some notable names in his quarter for sure with Kyrgios and we'll get into that in a minute, but I'm rolling with the chalk and I took some Novak minus 110.
3: Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, a couple of things to note. First of all, he tore his oblique. Two years ago and still won the event. This is definitely less serious than that. Now, I'm not saying, you know, you feel good as a better if something like that happens. But also uh, the key is he's out there playing like Avery. Like Avery said, he played that Adelaide final. He is out there playing one set. Uh, at at practice with Medvedev, like this seems like something he's feeling slightly, but it's going to totally go away. It it offers a little bit of intrigue just for that first round match against Roberto carbaez Bayena. You just want to see what he looks
2: like. I bet it goes away after that. All right, well, we'll get into the quarters now because I think the best way to attack this tournament is looking into the other markets. When you have such a huge favorite, you can have your long shots, you know, your 40 to 50 to ones. Somebody will convince you to take... Matteo Berrettini or Sebastian Corda off of recent form or, or whatnot, but I want to look into the quarters. I think it's the more interesting way to bet this because it is just so hard to cash these big long shots in these majors. And we start in the first quarter, the number one overall seed, the defending champion, and he's not even the favorite to win his own quarter. He's plus 275 to win this quarter. And he got an absolute bear of a draw. And Rafael Nadal did. He gets Jack Draper in the first round. He has Med in the quarter. He has Corda in the quarter. It's a really difficult draw for Nadal. Uh, Avery, what were were your initial takeaways? And is there anybody you're eyeing uh, to win this quarter? And how do you assess Nadal's form coming in?
1: A tough spot for Nadal to say the least I don't know when the last time we came into a grand slam first round and Nadal is, is already down to minus 110 I think that's absolutely crazy and I, and I think beyond that it doesn't get much easier with Brandon Nakashima that's not going to be an easy test especially considering how much he struggled uh, o- over recent months coming into the season uh, I would think it was six of seven that he's he's now lost and uh, I don't know how much faith maybe you want to put into that United Cup but at the same time he, he really struggled from ahead which is for someone that's a, a seriously good front runner, a, a big question mark. Uh, the confidence is really low, I think, for Rafa. You come into a major and you come into a best-of-five situation, it's it's hard to maybe doubt Rafa. But I think at, at any point in the last five to ten years, ever since he's been dealing with, with injury issues, beyond that, I think this is where his confidence is, has perhaps been the lowest. And I think it's going to be a very uphill battle for him. I think Draper is going to be a... Maybe a good opportunity for him, because if you can beat Draper and really establish a little bit of form on the front foot, perhaps he'll be in a good spot there. But in terms of outrights and quarter prices, I don't think you can even come close to touching Rafa. I mean, this is a stacked quarter. I think it's going to be tough for Rafa. I don't think you can be betting him. Perhaps you can't count him out, but it's really hard to bet him at you know 10 to 1 uh, or anything in that
2: range. We're not going to do too much round one discussion here because we want to kind of just do a bigger picture. But you can't not talk about Nadal and Draper Gill. Nadal likes to play his way into these tournaments. He likes to kind of find his form early. How live is Jack Draper to beat him? I mean, the bar- FanDuel opened to plus three hundred and ten. It's down to plus one hundred and seventy as we're recording this now. It puts him right around thirty six percent to win. I mean, how live is Jack Draper in this first round matchup? I know you have it early, early round popcorn for sure. For sure. I mean, that's that's probably about
3: right where it is now. It it opened with great value on Draper, and and we've seen that get bet down. I think. For good reason. At the end of the day, though, I do see Nadal just getting into a war and probably coming through. Uh, I have really liked how Draper has responded to these situations. Uh, Center court at Wimbledon a couple years ago against Novak Djokovic, he won the first set. I thought that he would be basically pooping his pants for that first round matchup, and he actually showed up. Uh, he's got big wins over Felix at the U.S. Open last year. He beat Tsitsipas in in Canada. So Draper, you know, he's a, he's a gamer and he's a, a baller in these kinds of uh, matches. But this is kind of one step up. Now there's kind of expectation on him uh, in Rod Laver Arena. It's probably going to be a night match. Uh, I really like the forehand-to-forehand forehand matchup for Nadal. I just think Rafa's... Has uh, Gets more bite and penetration, more potency, and Draper is still a little bit spinny on that forehand side. He needs to get better at flattening it out. Uh, But it's mostly the intangibles where I, I think I like Nadal to figure it out. His form wasn't that bad at the United Cup. He lost to Demonor. Um, and he lost to Cameron Norrie, but the form was all right. If he can just serve better than he did in those matches, I do think he finds a way, but I also agree with Avery. It's such a gauntlet match after match after match that you can't, you can't back him here.
2: I'll be looking for some Draper first set. Had some fun with that last year you know, Rafa was kind of pulling a Djokovic where he was easing his way into some of those matches and uh, you know, the famous Fanini, R- Rinky Hijikata, and, <laughs> and then ultimately Tiafo taking him down in, in, in New York. I think that there is, you know, as Djokovic and Nadal get to these points in their careers, they, they are very much managing and you can kind of find value betting against them maybe early in matches where, you know, the guy's not gonna be able to close the deal. And that would be the concern with Draper. Let's move on to quarter two. This is where it gets really interesting. I think this is the most interesting quarter in terms of there, There's a somebody I'm just not a believer in as the favorite. So maybe I'm a little biased. But Stefano Cittipas, the favorite in quarter two. How much are we buying his recent form, Gill? How much are we selling him as a you know going deep into majors where he's really struggled off of in non clay majors for the last you know year and year and a half? Uh, and, and what do you make you know what are your biggest takeaways from quarter two here? Well, I mean, look, Titi
3: Pass. He looks good. Uh, the approach on the backhand return, which has been a problem for him, uh, to me has has looked better. And he actually does play really well in Australia um, historically. I mean, he's made three semifinals here. He's not known as a like a fast court player necessarily, but this is just an event that's treated him well. The one time he lost. In the third round, it was to Milos Raonic, who brings a big serve to the table, which Tsitsipas generally struggles with. I hate this Quentin Alice matchup for Tsitsipas in the first round. Uh, But after that, I actually kind of favor him to get through. That said, uh, I don't love the number. The number I like here is Cam Nori, who's plus 600. And uh, I don't understand really why, because he's ph- phenomenal so far. He's four and zero. he's probably going to win Auckland. I'm not worried about fatigue because Cam Nori has never gotten tired in his career. And, you know, you're looking at Yannick Sinner, who has an injury concern coming in. Musetti, Shorich, and uh, I mean, Felix is the interesting one. Felix outdoors is just, he hasn't been the same uh, in his career thus far. So I know that nobody wants to bet Nori because it's no fun and people think his game is ugly, but I think that's the play here.
1: Yep. Another quarter, another, another time I'm aligned with Gil here. I, I started laughing because I kind of knew where he was going with that straight away. And maybe you know, there's an adage in sports betting that uh, perhaps if it seems too easy, maybe it is too easy. Or if it's too good to be true, maybe it is too good to be true. And maybe that's the case with Nori, but I was not a big Nori believer. I know you disagree with me on this one, Anthony. I was not a big Nori believer by about 2021. I quickly realized that, that I was very wrong about Cameron Norrie. Um, a guy that came in kind of with a pushing style uh, when he came into the game, a very defensive lack of aggression. But by the time he's you know getting to Indian Wells and winning the tournament, it's a real turning point in his career. And last year, he really broke out. And honestly, I've been so impressed with him so far this year as well. I think you're seeing so much more aggression on that forehand. I think you're seeing an even bigger serve. I think he's going to be a serious problem on tour this year. He's an all-court player, and these conditions are going to be just fine for him. Like uh, Gil said, Felix is a good question here. He was unbelievable in Australia last year. He even had a match point against Medvedev, which maybe makes him just about close to the favorite for the tournament at that point. Uh, Perhaps not with Rafa still in it, but he would have been either him or Rafa. And I think at six to one, you're getting an unbelievable price on Nori. Uh, You get about half that with Felix. And and to me, that's crazy, like Gil said. And just like you, I'm not a believer in Steph. I know he did well last year. He reached the semis, but anytime you put him on a fast court, I I think it's a good, good spot to fade Steph.
2: Yeah. I don't have anything here because I don't like any of these players. I would love Sinner, but like you guys mentioned, the injuries, the form are not quite there. And I'm just never going to, I call him scam Nori. Maybe I'll be wrong and I'll keep (laughs) being wrong. Uh, He did have a good 2022. I can't deny that, but uh, I will not, I will not be hopping on the Nori train. I'll be sitting this quarter out myself. Uh, But I think the interesting thing is we talk about the depth. I mean, you go down the odds board in this quarter compared to the one we were just talking about. And the sixth guy on the list is Bodic Van de Zanskul, which we all like as a player. He's fine, but like there's no ceiling there, right? Like I think that's kind of the point. You know, Greek spore is is down there. Musetti, Vavrinka, the, the the corpse of Vavrinka making a comeback. Like the depth in this quarter is just so much weaker than the other quarter that I think uh it's hard to, you know, find the long shot who's about to make a big run in this one too. So I think ultimately it's chalk, but ultimately Nori and Felix on a collision course for the round of 16. That will be a fascinating matchup for sure. Uh, Let's move into quarter three. I think this one, another, you know, kind of difficult quarter to handicap just because there's a dominant favorite, but we can, we can dive in a little bit more here. I think into the weeds of the quarter, because there are some very interesting matchups starting. This is Novak Djokovic's quarter. He's the top seed. He's got Andre Rublev in the group. What do we make of Rublev and team in round one, which after Nadal Draper is probably the second most exciting matchup of the first round. Rublev tends to play team really well. Um,
3: they played in, I think it was Hion own uh, last year and Rublev played at a really, really high level in that match. You know, he's just able to take time away and kind of suffocate team on the backhand and push him back. And like, you know you got to kind of take team for for what he is right now um which which is sad like we all want him to to be better i would ignore all of the exhibition results uh, that he's put in which have all been positive um you know the one competitive match he's played this year Sun Woo Kwan beat him 6-4 6-1 look the the forehand until it is a top 10 forehand in the world again Dominic team is is just another player, and Rublev hasn't been great this year thus far. But I, I still think it's it's Andre in this matchup.
1: Yeah, I'm in agreement there. I think Rublev's won four in a row now. I think he likes these conditions. He likes fast courts, obviously, and and for team, like you said, Gil he did well in Kuyong, and uh, I forget which Middle Eastern country participated in the ex- exhibition in December, but. Uh, he did well there as, as well. But so did Alexander Zverev, who, who came into the United Cup and then got absolutely bow-raced by, by Yuri Lechka. So there's not too much, too much that you can put into that. And I think even though Team fought through 2022 and really at the end found, found his stride, um, he almost got to the final in Antwerp. He did really well in Gijon. He, he, he got some good results. But at the same time, when you put him up against top-tier competition last year, he really wasn't able to find a big win. Uh, and so the confidence not only is still going to be low at that point, I just don't think his his game is at the level that it, it really once was. I think Rublev's minus 300 right now. You could probably look at him on the spread, and I think he probably has some good value on that.
2: What do we make of Rublev's draw beyond that? Because we all know that he has been... you know, his, It's always the matter of whether he can keep his head or not deep into these slams. But I think it's a pretty favorable draw once you get beyond team. Uh, Emo Rusivori potentially in round two. Uh, bad boy Dan Evans potentially in round three. It wouldn't be until the fourth round where you know he would potentially see Holger Rune or the man Nick Kyrgios. Uh, But what do we make of the Rublev draw? And and is he undervalued at fourteen to one to win this quarter? Like,
1: I, I my, mean, obviously my, it's my tough. It's is, tough
2: because of Djokovic, but it's it's
1: probably yeah. not. I don't think he's under undervalued at all. I think he actually has a really tough draw. We maybe we perhaps we disagree on this, but Rusevori. Uh, took Felix to five sets last year in Australia when Felix was in really good form. Dan Evans beat him at the city open. He he, he has historically given a lot of trouble. I think it was also the Western and Southern uh, when that was played in New York where Evans beat Rublev. That's not an easy matchup at all. And I think you can pretty much count on Evans getting to the third round. Um, he's got Facundo Bagnus in the first round and then the winner of Galan and Chardy. So I think you can pretty much book him there. Uh, and and then he's going to deal with players like Nick or, or Holger Rune at that point. You're pretty much dealing with toss-ups. I don't think you have Rublev undervalued at all. And even if he gets through all of that, he's got no back, most likely.
3: I actually uh I agree with you that Dan Evans is is a bad matchup and I, I like Emil Roussevori, but he just hasn't done as much as as I kind of thought he would uh in the especially in 2022. Uh, the head-to-head with Evans is four-four, so that match tends to be a toss-up, and and I, it's because of some tactical stuff with Evans's backhand slice uh, to Rublev's backhand, which is is pretty difficult for Andre. But the the thing is, I don't really trust Kyrgios or Runa as much as I trust Rublev, and that's why I could see him getting to this quarterfinal. Obviously. Runa or Kyrgios, you know, they're going to take out each other. So it's going to end up uh, most definitely being only only one of them. But for for a multitude of reasons, like you look at Holger Runa, who's 19 years old, coming into a major with huge expectation for the first time in his career, and he hasn't won a match in months because he doesn't have any momentum in the buildup. I think that's a bad combination. Nick Kyrgios has been injured. I don't know what his training has looked like the last two weeks, but he doesn't have any match play. Uh, He also has the most pressure he's ever had coming into a major event, which frankly, sometimes the stress, he doesn't handle it very well. And then you have the Netflix doc, which I think is a big deal for Nick and a huge distraction for Nick because it matters to him immensely. So all of these things are red flags for Nick Kyrgios. Runa, you know, has some, I have some doubts there as well. So I kind of land on Rublev to probably get to Novak in that quarterfinal. That's the thing. Rublev, we've seen this time and time again. He gets to these big quarterfinals against Top Guns. He does not compete in those matches.
2: Yeah, we've all seen the the meltdowns, the beatdowns against Medvedev and the other struggles that he's had. It's just, you know, the bottom half of the draw, you look at it. Uh, I'll be on Manorino against Isner for sure. Uh, Zizou Bergs is live, maybe to surprise some people in the bottom half, win a match, qualifier. We love Zizou. But... I think uh, when you look at the bottom half of the draw, like Novak has to be pretty happy with this. I mean, do you give Dimitrov any chance? Like, is there any real hiccup for Novak between the first round and you know, in theory, a quarterfinal against Kyrgios? If Kyrgios is really playing well, could could be maybe a problem.
3: Novak is is so happy. There's there's no weapons here. Like these are quick conditions. We've seen Djokovic routinely win like 85% first serve points. He's turned into a really good serve plus one player. And you're looking at Karenia Busta and Diminor and Dimitrov. Like none of these guys can hang with the serve plus one prowess of Novak.
1: Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough for anyone to, to get to Novak. I guess if anything, because Evans has such an easy first two rounds, if I, if you have to find quarter value... I see Evans at 45 to one. That's probably what I would go with. He's also beaten Novak before. So, so perhaps there's a little bit of confidence, but at the same time that was in Monte Carlo on clay, this is the, the best possible conditions you could, you could give Novak. So it's going to be tough for anyone to take it off of him. There's a reason why he's, he's minus 300.
2: All right. So that's the, that's the boring quarter, although it's never boring when Nick curios is involved. And I'm, I'm very excited to see how he handles the pressure and the expectations. Like you mentioned, Gil, we're going to go into the fourth quarter now. This one is also pretty open. I mean, Taylor Fritz has to be decently happy with his draw the way it ended up for him. But as we look at the board here in this in this quarter, we've got Taylor Fritz, who's plus 300, plus 275. Casper Rude, who is the number two seed, uh, plus 425. Matteo Berrettini, plus 550. Sasha Zverev in this quarter. Roberto Bautista Agut. Then you have other guys, some Americans, Brooks B. Paul. Uh, and and Tanasi Kokonakis at 16 to one, not, not exactly buying him, but what do we make of this quarter? What matches are we excited for? And what are we betting? We'll start with Avery here. I'm fascinated. I have a bet in this one that I'm going to regret immediately.
1: Yeah, for me, this is, this is the most wide open quarter. This is perhaps the most exciting quarter in terms of just about anyone can take it. The favorite is Fritz at, at three to one. Uh, I think he's probably, that's a good price to take Fritz at. I think he's coming in with great form. You you love how he's playing right now. He's got some confidence coming into it. I think he's also going to be looking to avenge that brutal first round loss to, to Brandon Holt at the U.S. Open. But at the same time, there's so many names that could really excel here. Uh, Rude's going to be an interesting question. I, I really don't have a lot of faith in Rude to back up what he did last year. He still hasn't won a tournament above the 250 level. I still think he's lacking that that real killer instinct and that ability to perform at the highest of high levels. Even though he kind of proved me a little bit wrong at the U.S. Open when, when push came to shove, he really wasn't able to get it done. You have you have Matteo Berrettini who's coming in with better form than, than he ended last year with. Um, I, don't, I wouldn't even come close to touching Alexander Zverev right now because I just don't think he has the fitness nor the confidence right now. Um, in terms of matchups, I'm super excited about Second round, Rude versus Brooksby. That one is really exciting for me. I think Brooksby can cause Root a lot of problems. I'm not sure how that one's going to be priced, but but I'm really excited for that one. I, I would really, really be ready to get behind Brooksby at, at anything about three to one
2: or better. Yo, know, the, the Zverev question is a fascinating one because the draw is not bad, but what do I mean, what can we really expect from him in the situation of this
3: tournament? Here's a guy who's had fragile confidence, even when he's been fully healthy. Uh, and now he's come off injury. His second serve has looked really bad. He has to play best of five here, which, you know, the body is, you know, it could be kind of a shock to the body, uh, when, when you haven't been on court as much. So I'm kind of with Avery. I don't touch Zverev, and I, I wouldn't be stunned if, if we see, you know, Sasha not really become a factor until around Rolongaro's time. Like it might take him about through March, uh, for him to really get going. So yeah, I, I'd be off of, of Fritz and I'm also with Avery on, uh, sorry, off of Zverev. I'm with Avery on Fritz. I think the books got this right. I actually expected rude to be the favorite. Um, but you know, not that I thought he should be, but no, uh, it, it's Taylor Fritz, I think that's, that's correct. Um, He's looking at a a really good eighth where yes, you have Zverev. Um, There's a lot of reason not to be confident in him. Schwartzman. I'd be surprised if he got to the third round. Ketsmanovich after March last year, just hasn't looked threatening to top 10 players. These courts are quick, um, which, you know, Fritz, actually, there's some things to like about his game on kind of all speeded hard courts, but I think with the serve and the aggression, the precision on the back end and just the level he's brought for a long time, uh, you know, the last year plus really starting at the end of 2021, it's legit. And by the way, he's never lost to Matteo Berrettini and Casper the two matches that I've seen from him, Tiago Montero and against Berrettini at United Cup, I couldn't stand the way he was playing Way too defensive from a court position standpoint. The return tactics were not there, and he was getting bullied. Uh, so I'm I'm not high on Rude coming in as the number two seed with a chance to get to world number one. Uh, we'll be fading that.
2: We talked about Rude, and he he housed Berrettini at the U.S. Open. I thought that was a, a very disappointing showing from Matteo in New York. These courts does it is it playing faster than? The New York, is it playing slower? How does that impact a potential clash between those two again? Because we did just see them. Berrettini got some revenge. What can we expect in a potential third matchup here, which it seems pretty likely that they're on a collision course for one another, unless Avery's Brooksby comes through in the second round? Yeah, yeah.
3: I think it's more about form. Beratini just couldn't get going last year and didn't really look like himself at at any point because it was such a stop start season uh, from all of the injuries that he had. Um, and you know, Rude came into that match kind of the underdog, and he he played the best match of his career, like straight up. Um, I I feel like we would have some some mean regression here where like Berrettini should have the edge on a really fast court in this head-to-head. And, you know, he just didn't have it that one day at the U.S. Open. I think if they play again, it'll go back to that. To your question on the court speed, the U.S. Open and Australia are both just fast now. Um, the Dunlop balls that are played with at the Aussie, I think that's the biggest factor for why we see so much, uh, we see quick conditions. Whereas the U.S. Open, it's the court surface. And, you know, doesn't matter the court, the balls, reality is good servers, aggression. It's really rewarded now at both hard court slams where for a long period of time, the U.S.
2: Open was really, really slow. It's not like that anymore. Avery, should I be worried about Robbie Batts if I was thinking about betting Ferratini <laughs> to win this quarter?
1: I would not be too concerned about Bautista Gute. I think there's very specific core conditions where you really love, you really love Bautista Gute, And it's, it really shows up, let's say in in Doha and places like that, where you have the medium fast courts. Uh, I would not be too concerned about him here. I know he's had some success on courts like these, even at Wimbledon as well, but I, I don't think he comes in with serious form. I don't think he has the, the game that's really going to trouble someone that has these huge serves players like Berrettini that can get so many free points. Um, I wouldn't be. He's he's going to be a lot of a non-factor for me. At the same time, he's one of the most consistent players you'll ever see. We heard Casperud saying, you know, a month or two ago that he looked up to Roberto Batista Goot, which was one of the funnier things I've heard in a while, even though that's you know, a consummate professional. Uh, I think you see a lot of similarity in how they kind of look at the game and, and and how they attack the game in terms of, as Gil said, being very defensive, very neutral a lot of the time, extending rallies, being very comfortable with that. Uh, and I think that also is why on that Berrettini versus Rude note, why an informed Berrettini is really dangerous to Rude. Um, if Rude tries to get defensive and play conservatively on these faster courts, Uh, I think Berrettini will be able to really take advantage of points, get ahead, get that first ball, so many free points, and and it's going to be a big problem for Root. I think as we saw in New York, you you will not see a lot of fun backhand rallies, but I still think that's an edge to Mateo.
2: That's it. I'm in Berrettini plus 550 for me in this quarter. That's my bet. I'm riding with Mateo. I think Gild made a good point. You know, we weren't that far. I mean, Mateo was in deep in, in, in the quarterfinal semifinals last year here. And he did have a, a really poor second half. You feel for him at Wimbledon with the COVID situation. Then he was not healthy for most of the second half in North America and the U.S. Open. Not at his best. I think this is a, a good buy low on Berrettini, who I think how much worse on a hard court is he on a faster hard court is he really than Taylor Fritz? I think that's my question, uh, Gil. To you,
3: it, it's, it's they were close. pretty competitive
2: last week. You know, I, weeks it's ago.
3: just that Fritz is more complete uh, because of the backhand disparity there, where. Berrettini, people keep you know waiting for him to like patch up that weakness. It's never going to happen. It just he is who he is on that backhand, and then the mobility. Where like Fritz, usually I'm talking about Fritz at a at a deficit in terms of the movement. <laughs> He's quicker than Matteo as well. So I think in neutral baseline rallies, uh, Fritz is a lot better. And now you look at the serve, where like yeah, you take Berrettini, but I don't know that it quite makes up for what we see in the rallies. Uh, and again, I want to just reiterate, you know, three Oh head to head for Taylor Fritz over Matteo Berrettini. He just, he just plays him well. He attacks that backhand side uh,
2: extremely well. So you guys are both rolling with the American Fritz plus plus two three to one to win this quarter. I'm rolling with some Matteo Berrettini. So we've got some action in the fourth quarter. Uh, anything else on the men's draw before we briefly touch on the women's uh, anything you guys are or haven't said that you want to get out, or any bets recommend recommendations? I think you have
1: some thin some thin outright value on Medvedev because for for a couple of reasons. One is it's not an ideal draw for him, but it's not the most challenging, and he's come through just about everyone over the last two years, except for two of two of the three greatest players of all time, in, in Nadal and Djokovic in those finals. And the other big factor here is that Neil Medvedev is very polarized in terms of his game by a crowd absolutely despising him or him despising a crowd. We've seen that go one of two ways. You could get something that you saw like in the U.S. Open when Medvedev was inspired and it almost carried him through an injury when he was beefing with the crowd. Uh, Or we could see something like we saw in Mets where he just completely blew up when he was playing Wawrinka and he was getting frustrated with the crowd. Uh, I I think if you do get that inspired version of Medvedev coming off of a final last year when he was incredibly aggrieved at at how the, the crowd treated him against Nadal, Probably unfairly aggrieved, but at the same time, nonetheless frustrated. I think you get an inspired Med, and perhaps he's shown that he can. He's one of the few players that can beat Novak in a slam in a big slam match. So I think there is some value there. I have a a Medvedev Tt
3: Pass semifinal materializing, and you know, you guys will probably disagree with me on this one, but I just think the last couple times Tt Pass has played Daniil, he's played him perfectly. Uh, where the two things that bother Daniil, net rushing and speed, uh, it, Tsitsipas has both of those things in spades. And it was just kind of a matter of using those things properly, particularly the net rushing, where he's been mixing in serve and volley and hitting approach shots on on the plus one ball almost every single time. And, you know, this head-to-head, which for a, a little while favored Medvedev early in their careers when Tsitsipas was too busy being emotional about what happened uh in Miami. Uh ever since then it's kind of turned for for Stefano. So if I were to take an outright outside of Djokovic, it would probably be Pas. but I might wait after that Alice match in the first round because uh that would uh again, I would I would have a close eye on
2: Ali Titi Pass given the way the Frenchman is serving. Titi Pas and Mevide have met in the semifinals last year. I thought Tsitsipas played a great two sets, but then, I mean, he just disappeared in the mm-hmm. in the second, third and fourth set and Medvedev rolled him. And that was really Medvedev, I thought, at the height of his powers. And I think he's, he's just not the player that he was at that point. I think it's pretty clear that whether it's the tour figuring him out or, you know, Gil, you've talked about this on your show, whether it's all of the geopolitical stuff that's gone on, the mental, you know, distraughtness of losing that final when it was on his racket and he was a few points away from icing it, uh, just... Hasn't been the same player. And so I, I just don't know what to make of Medvedev. I'm one of the bigger Medvedev guys that you'll find, but I, I'm probably staying away from him in this tournament. If he were to get a head to head with Nadal, I would be fascinated to see just that match play out. So I'm kind of rooting for that to happen. But, you know, we, you, you guys are mostly experts on the men's side, but we do want to touch on the women's side of the of the draw a little bit. It's kind of similar in the sense that there's like a clear number one overall. But I think we're all, I'm, I'm not sure what you guys think, but I think Iga is clearly a little bit more vulnerable at the top than Djokovic is. Of course, best two out of three is a lot different than best of five. Sabalenka has been in great form. Do you have any outrights or any names to watch players you're thinking about? We'll start with Gil uh, for this one.
3: I agree with you about uh, about Iga and and her draw is is not ideal, Where especially if you look at Rebakina and Danielle Collins, two power players who on this fast surface can just take advantage of of Iga's serve, just not really holding up its end of the bargain at all times. And I think that matters in these conditions. Uh, I look at Caroline Garcia probably more than anyone else who can kind of bring that aggressive style and just looked so fantastic uh, in the second half of, of 2022. And I think what she brings to the table Can similar to Ash Barty and some of the things she did can just kind of take the tour wholly by surprise where the way she's aggressively returning second serves and uh, and serving so well herself. I think she's very dangerous at plus twelve hundred.
1: Yeah, I mean, once again, I'm in agreement with Gil. my My number one pick on the women's side would be would be Garcia. I mean, she just ended 2022 in such great form. Ever since I think it was in Warsaw when she she beat Fiontek in on, on clay, but in her home country of Poland, I think the confidence just skyrocketed. She had a crazy end of the year where she won the Western and Southern. She parlayed that into success at the U.S. Open, where you know she really had one match where she was just absolutely brutal against On Shabor. But outside of that, it was just about perfect then wins the WTA finals. And, and she's really underpriced here, in my opinion. Iga, I think we're all in agreement, is, is super vulnerable in these conditions. She got absolutely smashed against Jessica Pagula last week. She looked completely out of sorts. And maybe part of that is the fact that she had to switch locations and, and that definitely favored Pagula a little bit. But when you have these fast courts, it's hard to get behind Spiontek. I was a bit surprised that that she won the U.S. Open uh, last fall, but at the same time, she came out of some tough situations. I think her first-round opponent, Yule Niemeyer, she had her in a real spot of trouble last year, and that was the closest she's really come to to, to losing. I think she was up a set and, and a break in, in the second set. And then after that, I think the tank just emptied for Niemeyer, and, and she kind of collapsed a bit. And you get to her credit, took advantage of that and, and really took control of the tournament from there, even though she struggled with Sabalenka a little bit, sometimes with Pagola. But for the most part, she was pretty consistent. Um, but when you have those big hitters, those flat big hitters that really try to take time away and, and control points like niemeyer can i think it'll be interesting to see what happens to shriantek i think she could really have some trouble and i think in the first round niemeyer could maybe be dangerous even at, at, at that point and i think like Gil said danielle collins big hitter a big match player she'll she'll step up to the plate i would not be surprised uh, to see her make a nice run as well
2: one power player you mentioned briefly with sabs coming into the tournament sabalanka in great form seems to have figured out the serve is she consistent enough to win this slam, like I think that's the biggest question. And uh, you mentioned Niemeyer; I mean, Iga couldn't get a forehand in the court for a set and a half until she finally figured it out. But uh, does Sabalenka, you know, she's the second favorite here. Does she have any real chance? Skill? Where Where do you assess her form coming in? I think she does have a chance. I
3: I just think everybody's onto it. I don't I don't think the price is there at plus seven hundred in a wide open women's field. Uh, but you know, she has the firepower where it's hard to see it not coming together for her at some point and i just think uh mentally although last year on its surface was really rough because of the second serve i i feel like she's become a player who actually does have some decent uh resilience and and match toughness which she really lacked early in her career where she would just she would just throw in an absolute dud um at some point, it seemed like within her runs, especially at majors. I think Savalenko will get one at some point. I just don't know if the price is there.
1: Yeah, I'm in agreement on that. i'm I'm really not confident that the price is there either. I think. Part of the reason, like you'll noted, she is actually surprisingly resilient for someone that has the second serve issues. I think when you see those massive second serve problems, like with players like Zverev, there is a serious confidence issue, but she's quite aggressive on the second serve, which contributes to that. And I think that also results in her getting a lot of free points, a lot of easy first balls on that second serve points. So I don't necessarily think that's the the massive issue for Sabalenka, but at the same time at, at seven to one, it's really just not there considering she still does have those second serve problems. And if she really has a poor match, she's, she's definitely there for the taking.
2: All right. Well, that'll just about do it for us here. Aussie Open Preview Pod. We need to make this a regular thing. Wimbledon, you know, we'll get together for maybe each of the majors if our producer Matt Mitchell will allow it, which I think he will. Uh, but we thank everybody for listening. Thank you to Gil Gross. Thank you to Avery Zimmerman. Be sure to check out Gil's stuff uh, on his YouTube page. Uh, I'm a proud member of his page, and, and I learn a lot about tennis from watching him every Monday, Monday Match Analysis. Avery, head of our tennis content, we're gonna have a lot of great stuff day to day, big match previews, everything you can possibly want. So if you have uh, you know an inability to sleep late at night and you want to watch some tennis, I mean there are a few great sweats like watching a five-set tennis match, just an emotional roller coaster. So uh, hope you join us and thank you all for listening. This podcast has been presented by uh, FanDuel Sportsbook. I'm your host, Anthony DeBundo. Signing off.